Hey there, this is Dustin McLean. And Allie McLean. And we're pumped that you're joining with us today. And if you're a part of our Purpose Church family, whether in person or online, we'd love to connect with you via social media at ourpurpose.church on all social media outlets. And on our website at www.ourpurpose.church. We can get you plugged into a group, other giving options, and an opportunity to connect with the Purpose family all across Western Kentucky. And we hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. And so let's jump into the message. Well, come on, can we give Jesus a big ovation of worship all over this house? Come on, if you love Jesus, can we give him five seconds of the loudest worship that we've given him all week long? Come on, give it up for King Jesus in this place. I love that. I love that. I love that. Well, hey, listen, I know I usually have you standing on your feet, but today I'm going to let you go ahead and have a seat today, all right? Have a seat. Have a seat. I know you're excited to be at church, and I know you're in this room. We're really glad that you're here. I'm so thankful for you. And uh, today we're starting a new series called Miracles. Somebody shout miracles. Shout it like you mean it. Shout it like you need a miracle. Somebody shout miracles. I love that. Well, today uh, what I want to start talking about and uh, I, I just want to just take just a few weeks together, and if we can, just start talking and continue talking about this idea around finances. And I know that when we say that, and I'll kind of come to you in just a second, and we'll talk around that really quickly. But I, I think probably a lot of us in this room, we believe that God really cares about our faith, that God really cares about our salvation, that God really cares about our theological ideas. But for some reason, so many times what we think is kind of God really, just God, we're going to kind of not talk about the financial side of it, that God really doesn't care about that. But what I want to get across to some of us today and over the next couple of weeks just talking through it is this idea that I don't believe that people really understand and know how much God is vitally interested in your finances. Because I'll just be honest, most of us, we try to do finances alone, right? We don't want to talk about it. We don't want, it gets, it's really uncomfortable, like don't touch it, like it's toxic. We get defensive about it. And I'll just be honest, that is just not the God of the Bible. So we're going to look at that over the next couple of weeks, and I want you to write this down today because this is the title of my message today. It's this idea of how to see my finances, how to see my finances, because all of us are looking at finances through different lens that we've grown up with, right? Maybe some of us have grown up with the lens of a maybe a stingy mindset or a, a scarcity mindset or a manipulative mindset that somebody used money or somebody used that to like get, uh, get a, a leg up on you in your life or whatever it might be or a critical mindset when it comes to finances, or maybe you've been brought up around a generous mindset. Maybe you've been brought up around an abundance mindset. I want to just, just kind of talk for a few minutes today about how to see our finances. Again, I'll tell you in just a minute why it's so important, because it's, it's literally something that if we look around this world, it's not working the way that we've done it, okay? And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes, but I really do believe that it's crucial how you see and how I see our finances. So I just want to pray for us, ask God to give us clarity, ask God to give us vision, ask God just to help us see clearly how he would want us to see. Everybody okay with that? Can we do that together? Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, we honor you. God, we love you. God, we're so grateful for who you are. Thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for uh, teaching us and what you're going to teach us today. And I can't wait to see uh, what you're about to do and the freedom that, that people are about to experience when we see finances the way that you have us to, God. We love you. We honor you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said. I said, everybody said, 
Amen, amen. So, so I, I know whenever I first mention this idea, we're going to talk about some finances. How many of y'all, let's just take a poll really quick. Let's just all be, this is all skate, okay? So like everybody's on the skating rink, on the floor, all right? Everybody good with that? So we're all going to participate together. How many of y'all get a smidge nervous when we start talking about finances? Come on, raise your hand if that's you. My hands are in the air. Like, my hands are in the air. Okay, let, let's just kind of laugh a little bit, because that's fun. We can laugh a little bit, uh, even around this idea of finances. How many of y'all, really quickly, have ever had an argument over money? Come on, somebody, all right? I think we all have. I think we've all argued over money. How many of y'all have ever had to explain a purchase to your husband or your wife that you blew the budget on? Come on, somebody. Raise, is somebody raise, Randy's on both feet right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's me, right? That's me, right? I think, I think some of y'all got an Amazon addiction, okay? Like, you got to explain the Amazon purchases. I think we've all been there, right? Let's be real uh, together really fast. How many of y'all in the room are the savers in the room? Where are the savers at in the room? Come on. If you're single, look around. This is who you need to marry, okay? If they're single, they're the savers. All right, now where are all the spenders at in the room? Come on, let me see you. All right, Dave Ramsey, if you're watching, just come on down next week. Like, we need you here. Got a lot of spenders in the room. And I love laughing. I love talking about that. I love, I love just, just again, uh, getting us all on the same playing field. Because again, I want to just spend a few weeks doing this. Why do we need to do this? Because I'll, I'll just give you a couple facts really quickly about why this is so important. Did you know that a third of the entire New Testament talks about money? You know, a third, one-third of the entire New Testament talks about money. And if God talks about it, guess what? I want to talk about it. I want our church to be about it. And why are we going to talk about it? Because if you look around our world and you look around our culture, you got to realize that the way that we're doing it ain't working. Right? The way that we've seen it happen is not working because 87% of people every single day worry about finances. That's 9 out of 10 people every single day are worried about their finances. You want to know how much the average debt in the United States of America right now is $155,602. That's the average debt. That's up over 6.2% in the last year. Right in the last year, it's gone up 6.2%. The average student loan debt, guess what it is? 38,729 bucks. That's a lot of dough in debt, okay? Like how many of y'all like, Lord, that's me, okay? Like, you know, I've been there, student loans, right? I had to sell a kidney just to be able to just pay for something. Okay, I get it. But, but let me just kind of dive a little bit deeper in that too is because did you know that money is the number one reason for divorce in the United States of America? It's money. It's finances. Did you know that the number one reason for anxiety and depression, you want to know what it is? It's money. It's finances. And so no wonder why this is an awkward conversation sometimes. No wonder why this can be uncomfortable for us. And Because, again, if I'm thinking, like if I'm your enemy and I'm the enemy of your purpose, the devil is your enemy, just so you know. And if he wants to go out there and he wants to steal and kill and destroy your life, which is what he said his goal is for you, right? His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy you. Then what I would want to do if I was him, and, and I don't want to be him, but it, what he will think about and what he will do is that I will make sure I can destroy your relationships, your life, is I'm going to make money untouchable, the untalked about, the, uh, the thing that, that, that we're going to hide, that we're never going to approach, that we're never going to even speak about. And what I begin to think is, is that God can't heal what you and I are willing to hide. And that God cannot bless what you and I are not willing to give him. And so we're going to be a church that unapologetically just talks about it. And I'm believing that this series, I want you to know something really quick. I'm believing that this series is going to give you more vision 
vision, more clarity, more practical handles than you've ever had around this idea of your finances. So at the end of this series, and even at the end of your life, you're going to be able to look back and say, wow, look at what God did. Look at the way that he blessed me when I didn't even know, when there was no way, as we just sang a few minutes ago, that he somehow made a way, right? I'm believing that for all of us in this room. And let me just give a couple disclaimers, because I know as soon as we start talking about this, what begins to happen is like the church needs your money meter goes right off the Richter scale, okay? Like, let me just clarify something really quick. Like, I want everybody to know, everybody just say relax. Now, come on, everybody take a deep breath in and just blow it out, okay? Just in the nose, out the mouth, okay? Right? Everybody just relax because I want you to know something really quick. We are not going to teach this series out of need in our church. Like, just know at the very front end of this entire series, I'm not going to say, hey, we're bless God, we're taking 10 offerings up today. No. Like, like, I know that's happened though, right? That's happened. That may be for some of us where we've seen and what we've thought about when we come to church and finances. Or we're not saying, well, bless God, if, we, if you don't give, we can't turn the lights on in this place. Or, man, if God can save your soul, he can save your wallet. Okay, we're not going there. I want everybody to know, okay? I want you to know really quickly, like, this is not out of need. We have no debt as a church. Can, I, can we celebrate that together? <laughs> no debt. All of this financially cash floated, right? That's incredible. We still have, we, we, we are blessed and we are thankful for what God has done. This is not out of need that I'm telling you this. And let me share something. We have a lot of vision out in front of us because I want you to know this is not the end goal. Right? This is not where God has called us to stop and say, okay, hey, we made it. Now we can just kind of relax. No, 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 no. There's a lot of people outside of these walls right here that don't know Jesus, and we're going to be about going after them for the gospel. And so I want you to know that there is a lot of vision out in front of us. And guess what? We will move towards that vision at the pace of all of our generosity. So that, I want you to know that, that that's going to be something that happens. But I'm not teaching this, and we're not going to teach this out of need in our church. Like we, have no, we don't have needs necessarily. We're going to teach this because when we started Purpose Church, we wanted to be a church whose walk was louder than their talk, right? That literally said, you know what, we want to be a church that makes a difference in our community outside of these four walls. And we're going to put our money where our mouth is. That we would be a church that generosity, that would be made up of people that generosity really is our privilege. And the fact is that we're not going to be a stingy people and a stingy church, yet we're going to be a part of a world-changing, life-giving church. And I'm excited that you're in the building today, okay? So I want you to understand that's disclaimer number one. This is not being taught to you out of need. Disclaimer number two, and watch this is going to get a little bit uncomfortable really quickly, okay? You ready? Everybody good? Just say relax. It may be a little uncomfortable. We're going to go there together, okay? Is number two disclaimer is God does want your money. And, oh, I feel the <laughs> uneasiness. And you're like, hold up. No, he doesn't, right? No, he doesn't. But, and this is hard for me, especially when I started first realizing and making money in my own life. What I began to realize is, is God does want your money. Now, listen to me. I did not say God needs your money. Everybody okay with that? Everybody shake your head. God, God, God does not need your money. He is not a limited deity. God does not need me to pay the light bill of heaven. Come on, somebody, right? God does not need that. God is not in any type of need. But why does he want it? Why did I say God wants your money? Well, again, if he's limitless, he has no limits, he doesn't need finances, he doesn't need your money, doesn't need my money. Like, why would he spend one-third of the entire New Testament talking about it? You know why? Luke 12, 34. 
And this is why I didn't have you stand up the whole time. I'm not going to have you stand up now, but I want you to take note of this verse right here because it's something that shows up in the Gospels over and over again. But Luke 12, verse 34, and this is the New King Jimmy version. It's what I call the New King James version, okay? It's the New King James version. It says this, for where your treasure is, somebody say money. Where your money is, there your heart will be also. It says, there your heart will be also. Why, why would God talk about money? Because he knows that, guess what? Where my treasure is, there my heart is as well. And God is so unapologetically willing to talk to you and I about our finances, ask us to give radical amounts over the course of our life, ask us to be generous with money that we wouldn't naturally do. Why does he do that? Because he knows wherever your treasure is, there your heart is. And you know what God is after? He is after your heart. He's after your heart. He's after that. And God talks about money because he knows if he gets your treasure, he is going to get your heart. And I want you to write this down is that God cares about our finances. He cares about it, and he has a plan for you. I want you to know that, that God cares. Like, you've got to walk in this place understanding that God cares, that he cares about you. Maybe you grew up in a church, or maybe you grew up in life where you thought that God didn't care about you. Guess what? God loves you so much, and God has a plan for you. And I want you to understand that God doesn't just care about your sin and how to combat that. Obviously, he does. He doesn't just care about your body and how you use it for his glory. He doesn't just care about your mind. He doesn't just care about your eternity. God cares about the practical, everyday things that you and I, as his followers, go through and deal with as well. And he is a God that is close to you and I, and he cares about us, and he has a plan for you. Somebody say, he's got a plan. All right, I love that. Y'all remember, uh, and maybe you grew up, my, my sister's very favorite verse, Bible verse growing up was Jeremiah 29, 11. Come on, how many of y'all got uh, something in your house that's on your, your nightstand that's got Jeremiah 29, 11 on it, right? Which says this, for I, have, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you. Come on, you, boy, I could preach in black church right there, right? Plans to prosper you, ah, not to harm you, ah, right? If that, that's where the commas are, it's a, ah, all right? Plan to give you a hope in the future, okay? Like, I, I get there with us, right? But how many of us have, have, have read that and we see that and we've got that in our house or we have that on a plaque in our house or we have that on our refrigerator or whatever else it is? And most of the time it can totally be taken out of context. I want us to understand that. It can be totally taken out of context. And what I want to just kind of just throw out here really quick is because a lot of times even in church people would manipulate that verse to say, hey, you know what, you've got to give in order to get you've got to give in order to get. But that would be what I would consider called the prosperity gospel. And I'm not going to be a guy that preaches the prosperity gospel. We don't give to get. Like at Purpose Church, let me teach us for just a few minutes. Can I do that? This means yes to Kentucky. Come on, if you don't say nothing out loud. Yes, uh, let me teach you. I give, you know why? To give. That's why we give. I, I give to give. See, see, I don't give with the intention of the fact that there's blessing on the other side of that. There is blessing on the other side. Blessing is the outcome, but let me share with you, that is not the motivation for why we give. Like, we give not to get, let me teach you, we give because we're generous and because we give. That's just who we are. And I want to show us a few miracles that happen in the Bible that we never probably have saw it this way, but it has a financial implication just to show you how much God cares about your finances. Y'all okay with that? Everybody still good? Everybody still breathing? We all right together, okay? Here we go. A couple of stories I want to tell you. And I, I want you to write these down. I want you to write the scripture references, and I want you to go study them this week. 
Take yourself, take your Bible that hopefully you're opening every single day. I hope Sunday's what it is for you. It's not that you're just getting fed on a Sunday, but Sunday is like just wetting the appetite for you for the rest of the week. That you would go home and you and I would spend time reading God's word. I hope that encourages you to do that today, right? So that's what we're going to do. I want you to write a couple things down. I want you to write these miracles down that are involving uh, lots of miracles that take place and didn't ever realize the financial aspect that took place as well. You ready? All right, the very first one is the very first miracle that Jesus ever did, and it's the miracle at Cana, the, the, the party that Jesus was invited to, and it's got all the Baptist mad in the room. Come on, somebody. It's where he turned the water into wine, okay? All right? That's a joke, okay? Let's just call it. If I laugh a little bit, it's okay, okay? He turned water into wine. It was his very first miracle. You can find that in John chapter 2, starting in verse 6 is where I really want to pick up. And they're not even going to have it up on the screen, but I want to read it to you out of John chapter 2, uh, verse 6. This is what the Bible says, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay, here we go. John chapter 2, uh, verse 6 says this. It says, um, watch this, standing nearby. Jesus is at a party. They're at a wedding. They're at a feast. you got to understand, this is something that happens for three days. Okay, so like weddings are big deals for us. They were really big deals for them back in the day. It was a three-day party. Watch what happens. In verse 6, standing nearby were six stone water jars. How many? All right, good. Love that. Y'all have been listening. I love that. Used for Jewish ceremonial washing. I was going to make sure that it's not up there. I'm I'm reading it to you. Make sure I read. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Let's just call it, evangelistically speaking, 30 gallons. Okay, so everybody shout 30 gallons. All right, so we got six jars that can hold 30 gallons, all right? So I love this. Jesus told the servants, which again is another thing that I could just really preach on for a lot of us, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, you got to understand that took work. It took a lot of effort. They couldn't go to like a spigot at the wall and just say, okay, I'm going to turn the spigot on. I'm going to fill this thing up. No, no, no. I had to go draw it, dump it, draw it, dump it. Imagine the work that took place. But they listened to Jesus and they did what he said. I love that. Okay, we can talk about that another time. But now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And so the servants followed his instructions. I love that. They listened to Jesus. They did what he said. Watch what happens, verse 9. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, even though the servants were the ones that knew, he called the bridegroom over. And a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then after everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best wine until now. You have kept the most expensive wine until now. And then verse 11 says, This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So how many of y'all have heard this story before of Jesus turning the water to wine, right? I think all of us have heard that before. I don't know if you've ever seen it from this point of view as well, though. Because you got to realize that, again... Uh, And let me help us really quick, because I have my pastor, J.D. Ost, help me understand this idea of this this specific miracle also had an incredible, um, uh, like, like, financial aspect to it, okay? So for three days, there is a party going on celebrating this couple. Again, the wedding feasts back then were a big family thing. They were a big ritual that went on, and again, it went on for three days. So what we begin to see, and as we're reading, we understand that a lot of times they would make the the most expensive wine come out first, and then they get the cheap stuff on the back end of it. But what we read right there in Scripture is the fact that not only did they serve the best wine last, obviously because it was touched by Jesus, right? Obviously because Jesus did his own thing. 
But, but I want you to realize the financial aspect of this. This would have been, if they ran out of wine, I want you to know that family would have been disgraced for a long time. That they would have been made fun of. That they would have had, you know what, like, like you couldn't even take care of the guests that God had given you to come and be a, a part of the celebration that was going on for your family. And so it was a big disgrace that, that they ran out of wine. And so now I, I, I did some research. I, I don't drink wine. I don't know nothing about it. But I did some research a little bit. And I want you to know that, like, like what, what would happen is I did some math. How many of y'all love math? Come on, somebody. You know, some of y'all like it's too early in the morning to be doing math. Where are those people at? All right, we're the people that love math. Come on, that's my people right there, okay? So um, uh, I don't know about you, but if you do some math really quick, and I want to I just kind of blow your mind really fast and show you the financial aspect of what took place right here when Jesus did this. Watch what happens. I, I, I come to realize that five bottles of wine actually make up one gallon of wine, okay? So, so kind of a standard bottle of wine would cost somewhere about $25, and that would make one gallon of wine, uh, one, one bottle we cost $25, and you had to have five of them to make one gallon. So we're just doing some simple math right there. That's $125 a gallon that it would cost for the wine to be made, right, for that. Okay, so think about that. So there was 30 gallons per jar. Everybody following? Y'all okay? Everybody's like, brain's like, ah, uh, I don't know what's going on, right? $125, 30 gallons per jar, six stone jars. I want you to understand is a $22,500 miracle. How many of y'all need that kind of miracle today? Come on, somebody. Yes, Lord, okay? I'll take it, all right? I'm with you. I understand. I, but I want us to see how many of y'all have ever thought of that? I never have. I never thought of it. That Man, this was a twenty, almost a $25,000 miracle that took place right there. I never thought of it. I never saw it like that. But I think God wants us to change the way that we see finances. That he really does care. Think about the next thing I want to show you, another miracle that took place in the Bible, is in Matthew chapter 17. If you go there this week and start to read it, there's this thing that's going on where these guys are asking Jesus and his disciples, hey, fellas, are y'all supposed to pay your temple tax, right? Are you supposed to do that? And what does Jesus do? He's got a G move that happens because he says, hey, Peter, listen, I want you to go down to the lake. This is verse 27. Uh, don't offend them. Don't do anything like that. Go down to the lake. Throw a line in. Throw, throw in a line. Okay, how many of y'all just on the lake right now? Just think about throw. Come on, Lord, we need a 75, 80-degree day in Jesus' name today, okay? That's what we need, right? And what does Jesus say? Hey, throw a line down in, in, the, in the lake. Open the mouth of the first fish that you catch, and guess what you're going to find? You will find a large silver coin. Guess what you do? You take that, and you go pay mine and your tax. Come on, somebody, right? But I want us to see something really quick. God really cares. That God really cares about your finances. So much so, he speaks about it over and over again. Look at the guy that was healed for 38 years after being paralyzed in John chapter 5. This week, I want you to go read it. I want you to understand that this guy had been paralyzed for 38 years straight. I want you to know that this is not only a physical healing that takes place. Do you also realize that it was also a, 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 an unemployment issue that's going on? That this guy has not been able to work for 38 years. And during this time, the social class that's going on, you have to realize that when somebody, as we've talked about before, was, was paralyzed, they were considered a sinner. They were outcasts. They were thrown out. And also, not just them, but also their families were. 
And so you have to realize that this family would have been in a class system that was way lower because they had a son or a brother or whatever that was paralyzed. And when Jesus in John chapter 5, he heals this man, right? He heals him. Not only does he heal him in his physical body, but he also heals him to say, hey, you know what? Go out there and you have a chance now to go work. You have a chance now to go out and have a job. It was also a financial miracle that took place, but I never saw it. I never saw it before. I'm just trying to help us today see finances, how God sees them. Then we read a few weeks ago about Jesus feeding the 5,000 men plus the women and the children, right? When he took a Lunchable and turned it into the first red lobster. I know I say that all the time, but that's what Jesus did, right? But go to that story. If you go to it, what happens is, is that Philip asks him, he says, hey, Jesus, like we see all these people, send them home. Let them go home, find something to eat. And Jesus tells them, hey, you feed them. And they come back and they say, Jesus, what do you mean us feed them? There's 5,000 dudes. We know they're hungry. Then they got them little chomping kids everywhere, right? (laughs) How are we supposed to feed all these people? How are we supposed to have enough money to feed them? We would have to work for a year in order to have enough money to buy food to feed all these people. And I want us to understand, even in that story, God blesses it, he breaks it, he gives it away. And we see in that moment, another miracle takes place. Not just that that, the, the food multiplied, but there's also a financial miracle on the other side of that as well. And I just think about that, and I think for so many of us, we, we, we read this stuff and we think, well, God doesn't really care. God doesn't want us to think about it, talk about it, whatever. But God spends a third of his New Testament talking to us about our finances. Jeremiah, again, 29-11, going back to the, uh, the, the Older Testament where it's saying, hey, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. How many of y'all love the plans, like having plans in your life? You like having a schedule, you like doing all this stuff. There's nothing worse in church than when you show up sometimes and we get inspired to make a change, we get inspired to do something, and then you don't have a step on the other side of it, right? Like you don't have a plan. Well, I'm here to tell you, I got good news for you. Somebody shout good news. You know, want to know what the good news is? I'm going to tell you the plan next week. All right, so I'm going to tell you next week, but you got to come back, okay? You got to come back. I want to tell you the plan next week because I I wait and I do that on purpose. You know why? Because if we don't see finances the way that God sees them, we will want to do our own plan and not worry about our plan and not worry about the plan that he has for us. And so I want to challenge our thinking today. I want to just kind of help shift that idea around this idea on money, on finances, because there tends to be two ways to do finances. This is my main uh, point for today. I'm not giving you 48 different things. I'm giving you one big thing, and it's this idea that there's two ways to see finances. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. ready. It's either you're an owner or you're a steward. You're either an owner or you're a steward. There are just two ways of seeing finances here on planet Earth. I'm either the owner of finances or I am the steward of finances. See, the owner in me says, you know what, again, that's why we had to talk about the owner The owner of a lot of us, if we consider ourselves the owner of our finances, we'll say, you know what, I'll do my own plan. I'll do what I want to do. I'll do the way that, but a steward thinks of it and says this, no, 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 I, I recognize my position as a steward is to facilitate somebody else's plan. That, that's the goal of a steward. And so I want to walk through a few more pieces of scripture today because a lot of us, carry anxiety and stress and we argue about money and we're defensive about it because we have been taught you better get a degree, you better go to college, you better get a job, you better work hard, you better get it all together and if you don't you're going to be broke, right? You're going to be bankrupt. And let me clarify something really quick. I will tell you, I want you to have a job. 
Okay, that's part of the plan. Like, like get a job, okay? Because there's responsibility that comes with being a steward. I want you to understand that we're not just going to float through life and say, oh, okay, we could just, no, 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 no. You can work hard. I have two jobs myself. I'm a chicken farmer, and I'm a church planner. Come on, somebody, right? The Lord has a sense of humor. I don't know how it works, but he does, right? I work hard, but I also want us to understand, yes, we carry responsibility. Yes, we work hard, but according to the Bible, I am not the owner. You and I are not the owners. And so I want to wreck kind of the way we see finances, if that's okay. Everybody okay with that real quick? All right. Here we go. I want us to understand that God really cares and he has a plan. But first got to see it the way that God sees it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Where good theology starts, all the way back at the very beginning, right? Genesis 1, verse 1. In your Bible, I want you to underline this fifth word uh, that we get to. In the beginning, God created. Somebody shout, created. He created the heavens and the earth. See, everything that you see, everything that you and I walk on, everything that we get a chance to experience, guess what? God created it. And so God created it, guess what? He owns it. Come on, somebody, right? God created it. He owns it. And what I want us to see is that you've got to get about 25 verses on down the road a little bit before you and I even show up in this scene. Because Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this. Then God said, so he created it all. He did all of it. Then he says, hey, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And watch what happens. They will reign over the fish in the sea. So, so reign, if you look in other translations, there's some that say, hey, they'll have dominion over. They will manage. They will reign. They will rule. They will steward. Okay? Everybody going with me there? They will steward over the fish in the seas, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals in the earth. And the small little animals, like little mice, that scurry along the ground. Okay? Like that, 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 we are in charge of that. We are charged to manage that. God created it, and if I could say it like this, is that you and I are the management company of heaven. That that's what you and I are. That God said it, he created it, he, he said, oh, he spoke it into existence. He said, man, that is so good what I just created. Now I need somebody to manage what I've created. I need somebody to, to steward what I've created. And God loves you and I. And God cares about you and I. And so he says, i got a plan for them how well they can steward what I have created. And again, we'll talk about that more next week. But I think about another verse in scripture that really helps me understand my idea of finances. Because I always grew up just myself. I work for it. I own it. It's mine. I'm going to get mine, 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 mine. How many of y'all know we ain't got to teach our little babies how to say mine, right? My little twin-year-old girls, man, they love fighting with each other. And they like... Like, literally, Elsie will say mine. Like, I was like, what'd you just say, you little sinner? Like, like, what did you just say? You said mine. You only say mama, but you say mine, right? And uh, I, I want us to understand that that's not something that we had to teach them. That's natural. So maybe you've walked in here and you say, you know what? I I'll just be really honest with you. There are so many times in my life where I have that same tendency. That we have the same tendency. So, you know what? I worked for it. It's mine. This is, my, this is, this is me. I... I did all of that, and it's natural, and it's normal, but I believe that God has something supernatural and miraculous and a viewpoint that is not normal that he wants to give us when it comes to finances. In Psalms 24, verse 1, we read this a few weeks ago, but it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Somebody say everything. Everything, everything in it. It's all God's. It's all his. And if you had told me this 10 years ago, right before Allie and I had gotten married, I'd have told you, no, 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 I worked real hard for this. 
I went to college for this. I studied for this. I busted my butt for this. I did all of those things. And there was a quote by Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Texas that wrecked me when it comes to thinking about my finances. Because I was thinking, you know what, I'm the source. I'm the way that provides for it. I'm the one that does that. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17 is one that he quoted. And Moses is having to correct some people of this time, letting them know, guess what, y'all? You're not the owners. You're not the owners. It's not who you are. Watch what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power, you know it, that's what we all say, my power my, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Look at all those acronyms in there that are talking about me, right? And watch what Moses is saying. He's like, no, 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 no. But you need to remember this in number eight, or verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he, somebody shout he, who gives me the ability to produce wealth. So the God who gave us life, he gave me that job, he gave me that promotion, he gave me that breath in my lungs, he gave me that ability, that talent, it all comes from God. And so before we get to the plan, we first have to answer which one are we? Do we see ourselves as an owner or do we see ourselves as a steward? And if you see yourself as an owner, let me just, care, let, let's just share this with you. That you and I are carrying the pressure, if we think we are the owner of it, that we are carrying the pressure of being the provider as well. And what begins to happen is maybe your industry starts to go down a little bit or maybe the margin starts to shrink just a little bit. And your company or your life, you start to freak out. And what happens is you're freaking out because you are carrying the pressure of thinking that you are the main provider and I'm the main provider. We believe all the resource is coming from me. So I have to freak out because, man, look, I mean, I've got to do something. I've got to create it. I've got to build it. But I just came to remind some of us today that the, one of the titles of the God of the Bible is Jehovah Jireh. And it says that he is the God who provides. And that doesn't mean that we just float through life, no job, no care. Because there is responsibility on the other side that comes to being a steward. But be very careful when you take on the title of provider and owner. Because that title only belongs to one. And his name is God, right? You believe that? Can we give God a big shout of praise in this place, right? I believe that. And then owners, not only do you feel like you have to provide it, but you also have to protect it. I don't think anybody just sets out to say, you know what, I'm going to be stingy. I don't think anybody really sets out and says, you know what, I'm going to be greedy. But if you are thinking of yourself as the owner, you know what you have to do? You've got to protect it as well. I've got to provide and I've got to just, I've got to protect it. And so what begins to happen is we begin closed off to the things that God is asking us to give to. And I just want to challenge all of us, giving, saving, spending, investing God's way will never make sense as long as we see ourselves as the owner. As long as we see ourselves. And I just believe that God, the reason why he would spend a third of the New Testament talking about it is because I believe that God is trying to change the way we see our finances. And God knew that this would be the number one cause of divorce. God knew that this would be the number one cause of anxiety and depression. And so he thought, I have to change the way that they see it. And so maybe if we see it all as God's, maybe we would spend it, invest it, save it, and give it differently than thinking ourselves as the owner. Look at what the Bible says in Psalms chapter 89, verse 11. The heavens are yours and the earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. And so if God owns everything, that means, you know what? I own nothing. Welcome to church, y'all. I'm glad you're here, right? Really glad you're here. I I want us to understand that we're all in this boat, that we're all fighting this temptation to say, hey, I'm the owner, not a steward. But I just want to flip the way that you see it. I want to try and just introduce you to this idea that you and I have to see it differently. Because as a steward, you want to know 
as an owner, your job is to say, you know what, i got to make sure the outcome is there. But as a steward, you know what your job is? It's obedience. That's the job of a steward. The job of a steward is obedience, not the outcome. And a steward can say something like this. You know what? God's in charge of that. You know what? Maybe you get word coming down the line that, man, they're about to do some layoffs here at the plant. And I'm freaking out. And guess what you as a steward get to say? You know what? God's in charge of that. Some of that needs to be in your vocabulary starting this week. You know what? God is in charge of that. Maybe for some of you that are in college, the tuition bill is going up. It's getting more expensive. It's costing more money. And you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to do it. But you know what a steward would say? God's in charge of that. God's in charge of that. You know what? My car breaks down. I have to do something. i got to replace it. If it's my car, then I've got to be the one to provide. I've got to be the one to protect. But if we're a steward and we say, you know what? God's going to take care of that. God's going to handle that. And I'll just tell you, I'm in the same boat. As of this week, there were some things in my own life, our own, our own life, that was like, oh, my. Like, financially. Like, oh, my. Okay? Of course, it's going to happen the week. I'm speaking to all of y'all. Y'all need to have faith. No, no, no. I'm with you. Okay? Do I see myself as an owner or do I see myself as a steward? And what I want you to understand is that we're going to work hard. We're going to do whatever we can. But guess what we're going to do? We're going to give the rest to the Lord. Why? Because of what he says in his word in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Give all your worries. Give all your cares to God. You know why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares about you. And if you are living your life as a steward, you can bet that whatever you face, that it is not new news to the owner of your life. That if God is the owner, it's his money, it's his job, it's his house, it's his car, it's his health, it's his church. And the beauty of being a steward is that you are no longer responsible for the outcome. You are just responsible to be obedient. That's the big difference between an owner and a steward. I want to show it to you because I'm a visual guy and then we'll be done. Uh, Randy, if you don't mind coming up, that would be awesome. Y'all give it up for Randy coming up here on stage. Randy, Randy sits, Randy sits uh, front row all the time, and so it, it, he just becomes the, uh, my guy that gets picked on a little bit. So I, I want you to understand that if right here what happens is this idea that if you and I see ourselves as owners, I, I've got a lot of marbles right here in this, this bucket right here, okay? So, so if we see ourselves as an owner, let's just say, okay, you got your house, you got your cars, you got some other things like that. Like if you see yourself as an owner, I want you to know that what begins to happen is you and I begin to be close-handed to the things of God, right? And so Randy, if you don't mind holding that up there like that, that would be awesome. So, so Randy's holding this with a closed fist. I'm the owner. It's mine. It's mine, 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 mine. And if God, yeah, if God ever tried to say, hey, I, I want to give you a little more with a fist like this, you know what? Can't hold on to it. Can't hold on to it. But let me just share you. Again, this is visual for me because I'm just such a visual learner. And the fact is that the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, that the world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And so if he is an owner, he's going to hold it on tight. But if you and I are just a steward, we're to exhibit the, and do the plan that God has for us, open that hand up, Randy. Are you got five of them in there? Go ahead and put your other hand up there, Randy. You got your hands open. Guess what happens? Is that as you open your hands to the things of God, yes, some things that's falling off. But how many of you know, man, I started out with a whole lot more than I had in the very beginning because I was willing to say, you know what? I'm just stewarding what God has for me. I'm not the owner of all of this. Come on. If you believe that, can you give God a big shout of praise today? You can drop that. Thank you. Come on. Why don't you jump up on your feet? Jump up on your feet all across this room. 
Jump up on your feet, heads bowed and eyes closed. I'll tell you really quickly. I know how, how in the world do we talk about finances? How in the world does this have anything to do with the gospel? Let me share with you why. And there's not enough money in the world, let me just share with you, that can purchase what Jesus did on the cross for me. And I've just come to tell you that the, literally the, the, the title of God is provider. You know what he did? He provided a way when there was no way. And the fact is, is that, okay, we had to work, we had to do all these things in the Older Testament, and Jesus came and fulfilled the very promise of God and said, you know what, I am, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So maybe you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus. I want you to understand the most important thing, as I said at the very beginning, God is after your heart. And he wants your life, he wants your heart, and so you're in this place and you've never given your heart to Jesus, today's the great day to start. So if you can't bow your heads and close your eyes, maybe you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe you've never said yes to that name, maybe you've never said yes to forgiveness that he offers. I want to offer you the chance to do that today. If there was a God that loved you, if there was a God and he sent his son named Jesus to die for you and I, to give his life for us, that we were far from him because of our sin. But thanks be to God that Jesus didn't stay far off, but he came and he gave his life for us. And the Bible says that if you will just put your faith and trust in him, if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. If that's you and you need to be saved today, I would just love it if you pray something like this. Just pray, dear Jesus... Would you come in my life? Would you save me? I believe what you did on the cross. I believe that you died. I believe that they would put you in a borrowed tomb. And I believe that you got out of the grave three days later. And I put my trust in you. I give you my heart today, God. I give you my heart today, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. And maybe you're in this room. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening on the podcast and something that, that you said that word for word or you said something like that, but you just asked Jesus to come in your life and save you, I would just love to know that you made that decision to say yes to Jesus. Again, one of the highest honors of our church is to have people meet Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus, connect with Jesus, and we want to help you live on purpose the best that we can. And so we would love to know that you made that decision. So if you're in this room, I'm going to ask our serve team in just a minute. They're not going to walk out of the room, but they're going to move as well, just so you know that you're not the only person moving. They're going to move. And then if you're watching online, I'll tell you in just a second if you just made that decision to follow Jesus. But on your connection card, if you're in this place, at the bottom it says, I said yes to Jesus. If you could check mark that, we've got our team up here on the front of either side of the stage that we would love to host you, love to just celebrate with you, love to give you a Bible, love to high five you, love to say, man, you just made the best decision of your life to say yes to Jesus. If that's you and you just prayed to receive Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to move on the count of three. One, two, three, go, go. Our team's moving. They're not going to leave the room because we get a chance to give in just a second. But they're also moving right now, so you're not even the only one moving. If you're watching online, I want to tell you the way that you can let us know that you made that decision is just text the word PURPOSE to 270-229-6488. That would be awesome. All right. I love you, Purpose Church. Come on, can we lift our head and can we declare with our hands and with our mouth and with our shouts that Jesus Christ is Lord. Come on, let's give it up for Jesus in this place. Thank you so much again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps out so much. For more content and information, head over to ourpurpose.church. We love you guys and hope you have a great week on purpose.